0: Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Story Conversations. This is a podcast on putting stories to work. Um, uh, I am the co-producer of this Story Conversation podcast, along with Simon Hello, R. Smith. Of, Hi. I am the creative. Oh, That's I'm him. Susan Griffin, by the way. <laughs>
1: Remember who you are, yes.
0: That's true. <laughs> <laughs> who am I this time? Um <laughs> So anyway, Simon, tell us a little bit about today's guest.
1: Yeah, so joining us today for this conversation is Audrey Larty. Audrey currently works for LinkedIn, but she's got a fantastic career. Um, She's fascinated and passionate about all things marketing. So we've actually got a real-life marketer. On today's show, another one, another one, another one. Well, yes, (laughs) but uh, I think Audrey comes at marketing from a very unique perspective, and she uses stories in fantastic ways. So let's let's hear what she has to say about how she's using stories.
0: Well, welcome everybody, and welcome especially to you, Audrey. Um, We're so thrilled to have you on Story Conversations. And actually, to start, what we love you to do is share your own story with our listeners um, what you do and what was your path to where you are now of of course I looked you up on LinkedIn I'm glad and and, (laughs) wow what what a what a journey so so please tell us please tell us your your own story and uh, how you got where you are today
2: uh, well, firstly, thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here
0: um, and to be part of this.
2: My story is an interesting one. I always, I feel like it starts with the first time I disappointed my parents. Those oh my goodness. <laughs> I think it will, but we'll fast forward that stuff before it gets all too emotional. But ultimately, um, I kind of was always thinking I was going to become a doctor so i did the sciences a levels um, the various courses you do to prepare yourself to study medicine how to fill out the forms the work experience etc um and i don't actually know where the point was but i realized this wasn't for me and ultimately i was doing the thing i thought my parents wanted me to do and for those wow. of you who haven't been in a traditional african family uh as a first-generation immigrant uh, Im- immigrant parent, um, what you find really quickly is they come to this country, being the UK, to have a better life. And when your children grow up, the career that they have falls into very few limited brackets. It's either medicine, uh, lawyer, accountant, and that's kind of it. So <laughs> I feel like that was the choice. And in my early teens, that's the choice I chose. But I knew there was something else and it just wow. wasn't giving me the craving and passion so that was the first time I told them I didn't want to do that the second time was when I said I wanted to take a year out from university <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah you can uh, see this I'm not yep. a follower of rules oh, nice. uh, <laughs> um, because I just didn't know what I wanted to do I think it's really interesting when you take the path that somebody else has for you that at some point it just doesn't feel right and I'm actually really grateful that I made that decision sooner rather than later, just because uh, a medical degree is seven years and very expensive. So, um, yeah. And in that year, yeah, in that year out, um, I did a part time course. I went back to college and did CIM, which is a chartered institute of marketing. I knew that was something I enjoyed about it, but wasn't sure if it was what I thought it was going to be. Um, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, but actually it was so much better, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think is the well. two And, and they're kind of the beginning of what it means to kind of my trajectory across marketing. And it's been a funny one because my route into marketing has been a bit of a bumpy ride. And so I didn't do what most marketers do. You go to the big brand, you do the graduate rotation. Um, I just didn't do that. I kind of mm. came in through the back door, so to speak. Um, marketing assistant in in law firms, um, mm-hmm. property companies, um, recruitment businesses, all within the kind of small to medium-sized um, organizations where, quite frankly, if you are the marketer there, you're doing everything. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have large right. budgets. You don't have large teams. You're working so closely with sales and CEO. And there's a real focus on you as a marketer being able to generate return on investment Mm. and Mm. i feel like that's really where i've kind of landed where i am now i think the thing that has been consistent along most of the organizations i've worked with is i've worked really closely with a sales team which is where Mm. i also met you simon which yeah and that kind of unique relationship between marketing and sales its so funny. If you Google, um, get a stronger relationship between sales and marketing. I feel like that conversation has been going on for decades, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we still haven't reached a solution on it. But ultimately, yeah. that kind of sales and marketing working relationship and how they come together to be successful for both mm. parties is the one thing that has been the strand throughout my entire career. As yes, to where it is now. Interesting. Um, and where so I've finally landed at LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, which we shall hear more about shortly, I'm sure. Um- so, I mean, it's interesting you say that, you know, that's, that's uh story, if you like, between, about what uh, the relationship between marketing and sales is ongoing and keeps going on. And we're, we're still trying to fix it. We're still trying to make it better. Susan and I were talking about this. It's, it's the same with stories. Why are we still talking about how stories are useful for business? <laughs> Haven't we sorted this out yet? Come on. Yeah. So I'm really interested in the role that stories, I know they've been a key part of your work. And um, when did you first realize that stories and storytelling were a strong tool for you and for you as a marketer to employ.
2: I was thinking back actually about this. It was my first manager position. And so Mm. when you're climbing the, uh, the career ladder, the first manager position is an important one. Well, it was for me, I was invited to sit in and kind of give a quarterly review of the last quarter to the board. And I went in there with a list looking back it was like we delivered this we delivered this these were the results this was the results we delivered this and then oh also we delivered this and it was a monologue it was just a list of stuff Mm. and I went in there because I wanted to be able to showcase them what we've done and why they should be excited about it but they were absolutely uninterested (laughs) (laughs) and I was just so so because there's something about being invited to into rooms and spaces you haven't been in before, the nervousness, the prep, the you know, the sweat, yes. all of your sweaty yeah. hands, all of that stuff <laughs> that really came with it. And to absolutely you know that I are completely bombed. Oh, <laughs> no, no. no questions were asked. Um and I it it was bruising, definitely, but I I knew I had to do something different. Hmm. I think the thing I remembered in that moment it was. I was trying to prove all the things I had done, but I hadn't necessarily given them the reason why they should look up from their notepads or Blackberries, as it was at the time to actually listen to me. I hadn't connected to the, why should they sh- care?
1: The so what? Right. Yeah, the so what.
2: Right. Um, and that was really, I think, the journey I was then taking of, how do I make this come alive? Why should they even care? And And, and why should they want to engage with me yeah. on that?
1: I was to say, how did you land on stories as that device to do that? Because I think it's the natural one, but was there... Yeah,
2: a... I think... So, by background, um, I'm British-born Ghanaian, so that means my parents are from Ghana. I very carry both cultures with me. Um, and when i growing up, the Ghanaian culture, even though we were in South London, was very much present in our home. And throughout time, how older generations have given down wisdom and advice has been through stories mm. um folklore um whether they use used to make sure that um children become the adults that you want them to be or they're aware of the certain things that they need to think about as they move into adulthood stories were the key of that so i was used to using story and, and it's only now, as I reflect, that I, I can see that it was story and how it impacted me at mm. the time. I was just was like, "This is how we communicate. This is how we connect. We take, we bring people on a journey." Obviously, at that time when I sat in that board meeting, I didn't have this language, but mm. ultimately, that's what was happening. Um, and in those moments where I have often felt like I'm completely out of my depth and I don't actually know how to move to the next page, so how do I move from completely bombing in that? Um, board meeting to actually to a space where I could do better I just go back to kind of being myself and what do I know Mm. and what do I know about what I'm good at what do I know about the skills that have been given to me around storytelling and the importance of it as I grew up in this very Ghanaian household in South London and and that was it it was ultimately leaving that room and realizing if they weren't interested why weren't they interested and if they weren't interested, what would they be interested in? But then also, what would they be interested in and how am I best positioned to actually communicate that from a marketing perspective? And so yeah. those were the things. And then finally, what did I want them to take away? What did I want mm. them to do? What did I want them to know about what I was talking about? And all of those things really neatly fall back into story. Mm-hmm. The story I know, the the, um, the folklore I was told as... Is a great story and you can remember it, but ultimately has many life lessons
0: in it. Mm. Well, what's, it, it, sorry, what's interesting to me is what a great, you know, you talked about the relationship that that closely working with sales. What a great partner for any sales team along your career you must have been because what Simon and I have found is that Sales teams typically need a spirit guide when it comes to literally delivering the narrative and making people want to engage. Um, what, did you find that that was something that your sales teams embraced? Uh, honestly, not, no, no, not at the beginning. Yeah, well, you, Simon you, and I you, have found you, that too, but that's uh, <laughs> yeah. story. I
2: mean, you described it so beautifully. I wanted to be like, yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean that was the hope. But it absolutely wasn't the, the case. Um, the way I describe the journey I've been on with sales is a really interesting one. I feel like generally across the board, they are quite um, super superstitious. Are quite emotionally attached to the way they do things. So the way I describe ah. it is, they know that if they press into their button or whatever it looks like, the combination one three five six revenue will come out. And they right. do the same thing again and again and again. And I turn up in their team meetings like, "Hi, I'm marketing. I want to interrupt this code that they've been using and has been successful for them." And essentially, in order for me to be able to even get them to think about why they, I should interrupt this, they should interrupt this code with marketing, I have to really understand that they're wedded to one, five, six, nine to get the revenue out. Right. And that's the starting point of this journey for me. Wow. Because I, because and the idea where I got to this point is because I failed many times. <laughs> I failed when I used marketing jargon. I failed when I used all of the technical knowledge I'd learned at university that related to marketing. I failed in the, um, please, can you do this to me? I'll give you a cookie (laughs) (laughs) type thing. Because at the core of this, this wasn't because they didn't like me or they were being difficult. They already in their head had a route to how they make revenue. And it was on me as the marketeer to really make, give them a reason as to why not only will this help, but their existing template. So it's not trying to rip apart what they're already doing. It's an enhancement, but they can actually see how that enhancement can bring them revenue. And that journey doesn't even happen overnight. Yeah. That is piece by piece, building trust and relationship across the way and using stories to be able to tell them that story. So just as I told you that 157
0: revenue yeah. pops
2: yeah. out, That is a story that I use to be able to explain where I'm heading on that.
0: Dare I call it the heroine's journey? (laughs) Yes,
2: it absolutely is. This is it. I mean, the the kind of core framework of any story is overcoming a challenge. Mm. It's kind of the failing, picking yourself up again and moving that forward. I feel as my career has gone on, the, the kind of second part of that hero's journey is trying to actually bring a following with you, creating followership hmm. and asking questions like, how about let's re- reimagine? What if there was a world where we could? Because that almost takes it to the next level and then, then it becomes interesting and inspiring. Um, and that, I think as time has evolved and my relationship to story has evolved, is the bit that I'm definitely digging into. Great. It's the creating of the followership,
3: wow. getting
2: them to kind of come on this journey with me and and trust me often because sometimes it's not proven and sometimes we're testing and sometimes we're trying new things, breaking new ground. And it's only if they buy into this, well, this is something that could be and how we could be challenges to what is already out there that's the only way I found that we could move the process on my sales team but that's taken a while to get
0: there um, you were at a company called proco global um, it, and as I understand it they are or are a, a recruitment company specifically for procurement and supply chain and Um, love the fact that you celebrate where you, when you were there, you celebrated women in supply chain. I I think, um, way back in the day, I, I knew that world a little bit, but you had a charismatic leader then, um, and, and Simon shared that he, that, that, that charismatic leader, um, was really able to tell the brand story very well, um. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to work with a leader like that who understood telling the brand story.
2: I mean, it's a marketer's dream
0: (laughs) in a nutshell. (laughs) And what was
2: so interesting about him is that I don't think he actually knew the superpower that he possessed. Um, This was something that he, he was a visionary. He still is. A visionary and you speak to any of the people that joined the business it was because of his vision and where he wanted to take the journey he was very good at the how about we reimagine wouldn't it be great if let's come on this journey i haven't fully mapped it out but here's the north star this is where the direction of travel and i think he was he, he did that excellently as most entrepreneurs do he you know he was the typical entrepreneur he he created followership in a way that was Mm. incredible to see um and you you'd see it when you joiners got time with him they were excited and even though he wasn't able to give one-to-one time he would leave an impression of a 30-minute interview that would almost kind of feed them as they went on their journey but what was interesting as as any startup grows and it started you know went through double-digit growth we went from 50 people in four offices to 75 people 85 all of a sudden we have new offices opening in sao paulo where english isn't the first language we've got uh, two or three offices opening across asia the the ability to have that direct one-to-one uh, magic from this visionary ceo becomes harder and as the business grows and we we hire a, an excellent leadership team under the ceo having to keep reverting to the ceo to create this story and to create this narrative when time zones are different or you know right. language varies etc just wasn't a scalable solution at all it just wasn't going to work and i think I can imagine it's an interesting challenge that most startups going through rapid growth go through. Um, And that's when I first kind of came into contact with Simon
3: because
2: what we knew was two things. We had to get this story down on paper, (laughs) but we also needed to make sure that the story was co-created with the senior leadership team so that it wasn't being fed to them and they would just repeat it verbatim it had to feel authentic to the CEO of Hong Kong or the the leader of the office in Sao Paulo so that they could retell it. And that was the focus around how do we empower and excite and create some of this magic that came from the CEO, embed it and imprint it into the story, have a leadership team that not only understands the story but is able to retell it and then create it and build yeah. from it and I think that was that was the almost the the biggest challenge for us as we kind of the business grew new people joined different styles and levels of charisma that we had for the <laughs> leadership team right. um it becomes so difficult that the to manage if we didn't have a concentration and almost kind of a laser focus on this story and how it was told, retold, what are some of the um, the icons we use to, to help tell the story, the lexicon we use, how do we repeat the story, the different elements of it. So it's not just the language we use, it was just, for example, how offices felt the help mm-hmm. tell the story, the design, the use of, and traditions etc had all kind of fed into how we told this story and if I'm honest if I reflect back on it it's probably one of the biggest challenges I've ever kind of embarked on because of all of those complexities.
1: That translation piece is so essential but as you said it's not just about translation it's about ownership and translation Mm -hmm. do you own the story collectively it's great having a charismatic leader it's great that they can share their vision and their story but what does that mean for me as a member of the exec as a member of the sales team as a member of any part of the organization it's really great to hear you say that the story wasn't just the language it was the rituals it was the symbols it was all of those elements that go into making a a good rounded um, narrative through stories and storytelling. So exciting stuff.
0: Yeah, and we don't often think of business-to-business services companies like a recruitment firm and with such specificity in mm. the businesses that you served and having spent some time around procurement and supply chain people, is not the first thing that comes <laughs> to your mind, but, but to have to have been able to infuse and defuse that across a growing organization, it just sounds like an amazing um, challenge, but just an amazing sort of an assignment. Yeah.
2: I think also when you think about an industry like recruitment, for example, it's the only way the business is going to scale. And the reason why I say that is, Because ultimately, the individual recruitment consultants on the desk who are talking to procurement supply chain leaders are brand ambassadors. Mm. Right. You know, so unless they really understand the story Mm. that I'm telling on the website, on LinkedIn, and how it relates to the jobs that they do, they're either going to do a poor job of translating that to our clients and candidates or they're just not going to really understand why it's even useful and leave.
3: Mm,
2: and so in, yeah. and so, the success of recruitment businesses still to this day is a human-to-human piece. Yeah. And if we can't have the recruitment consultants really genuinely understanding the importance of the story and what it means for the vision and why they wake up every day, we'll be dealing with attrition problems which then impacts the growth trajectory and and right. and and and, so it was equally not only for growth and scale, different leaders, various locations, but it was to it was one of the core ways that we could make sure that if you're a candidate in Hong Kong, if you're a candidate in um, Vancouver, the recruitment consultant who's dealing with you is is led by our vision and our values, which is wound up in our story. Mm. And it, that that that's the way we create and maintain brand integrity. It was core; cool. really had to happen that way.
1: It's interesting, isn't it, that you you went, you came from that recruitment world, and now you're in a role that is sort of disrupted, I guess, recruitment to a certain degree. You're at <laughs> LinkedIn, so uh, tell us a little bit about the way you're using stories to connect, you know, marketing activities with sales teams across that platform.
2: So. In terms of my, my role within LinkedIn, I worked largely across our strategic um, customers, so some of our largest, most complex buyers that we have of the platform, and they're largely serviced by um, a varied um, account team sellers, so for mm-hmm. want of a better description. And what's interesting is not much has changed because <laughs> ultimately, <clears throat> Salespeople still, and LinkedIn's no different from many organizations, have a lot of noise coming their way. Hmm. Whether it's from the customers that they're dealing with, there are various things where they have internal training, they have to do various bits of admin that could support their role. Everybody is vying for their attention. And as, market, as a marketeer, I'm, I'm no different. And so the way I approach my relationship with the sales team at LinkedIn is it, the same. I need to understand and and explain to them and connect with them. I think the connection piece is really important. They too have the one, five, seven revenue pops <laughs> out idea. <Yes. clears throat> and I need to A, understand that first and foremost. What does that look like? How can I disrupt that? Or how can I and you know entangle myself to make sure that they could see that this is a way to enhance it but then the third thing is when I come and speak to them I have things that I either want them to action or do they need to know and understand and believe that this is worthwhile of their time and so that that's been an interesting challenge because LinkedIn is large and complex and there's so much going on I've really been thinking about how I show up differently when I have a spot at the team meeting, how I send emails and how I tell stories through that, how I'm constantly evangelizing um, whenever I um, had the opportunity to have a meeting or speak with somebody at the coffee point, which is slowly starting to happen again as we go back into <laughs> our offices. Um, my role is to tell stories, but in an, an organization with, with LinkedIn, it's evangelizing. Hmm. I am the ambassador. I am telling these stories of the why, why now, and helping them get to this point of wouldn't it be great could we just reimagine and think slightly differently too. Mm. And I think that's really interesting in the inside the ecosystem of LinkedIn because it is a phenomenal brand and but the core things of organizational structure and Marketing and sales and various other cross-functional departments are not different. They're just probably Mm. more complex. So I try and keep it really simple.
0: You know, it's interesting because we're seeing a lot of our respective B2B clients actually moving a lot of their marketing strategy to LinkedIn and actually LinkedIn serving almost as a spirit guide (laughs) to telling stories, right? There are so many different um, functions and aspects of LinkedIn that if uh, companies master and also individuals who want to showcase their own careers master – they they literally disrupt some of the typical ways that companies have marketed themselves previously but it's it's fascinating for me to to watch the people who really understand the potential for LinkedIn to help them tell their stories differently and then the folks who just don't don't understand how it has gone from just being here's a networking platform i say you know i'm i i have a profile i fill that out minimally and i'm i'm just expecting mm. life to come to me i mean <laughs> sorry to rant about this but um i mean what how internally at linkedin have you all recognized this potential to constantly evolve the platform to be more of a storytelling uh environment
2: i think it's an interesting one and i as people are different phases of their adoption of the platform they start to unlock certain areas of how they can make this work for them and so the All-star performers, maybe, should I describe (laughs) it as that. What they've really been able to understand and unlock and reframe in their mind is that it's not just the platform to just shout out the things that you are talking about. It's actually a community, Mm. if done well. Which means it's an exchange, a conversational exchange. So I might put something out there which is great. And that's one part of the exchange, but then there'll be other people who's put information out there and maybe I engage with it somehow. So Simon's written a post. This this resonates with me. I can very do the easy, quick exchange, like, like um, hit one of the various emoticons mm-hmm. that are there, or I could actually jump into the comments and say something to the effect of this is really interesting, Simon. I came across this, in this article, what have you seen? Or I could say, Susan, you've written a great post, I could tag one of my friends mm-hmm. who, I've had a similar conversation, check this out, this sounds like exactly what mm-hmm. we were talking about. And I think the people that have really understood that, understand those, those, those first two elements. But I think they're also using, utilizing it to try and also find their own tribe. Mm. This is what I think who's out there who's right. thinking similar things how can we connect um, nice. and all of those strands that I've talked about are all relate to community so the telling of stories is the glue that fits all of those things together because it, things that like, for example that Simon writes definitely will resonate me I've, I've connected with him we share a lot of commonalities so there's a, probably a high percentage that that's going to happen. Mm but the way it resonates with me, it's not like a really list. I go back to that boardroom mm-hmm. scenario. Right. It's, right. it's Yeah. It's this is what this, this is the emotion this evokes for me. This is how it makes me feel uncomfortable. This is the, the way that I'm starting to feed off and read this as a human being. Does anyone else believe this to be the case? That's is anyone else seeing this? And if we weave in and we think about stories in relation to all of that I have said is it's, it's connection mm. and the platform. So I do feel that there are still people sitting in that space who think I'll just put together a few stories and just turn it out. Yeah. And that's not really the exchange that works for me that right. I see working for those people who have the followers and the engagement it's two way and they recognize that it's two way. As well and i think being able to know that it's not the whole world it's the right world Mm. i always say Mm. that you know there i think there are a number i can't remember what the latest latest number of members but i think it was about 70 million or something ridiculous on the platform and that membership is not for everyone no so understanding Mm. who your right world is your tribe for want of a better description and cultivating that and spending the time to do that. And I, that's where I see the all-star performers staying away and how they use allows the platform to its best.
0: Yeah. I remember when I first joined LinkedIn, it was, it was the, uh, well, I'm just going to kind of post my CV up here, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and, um now it's a com- communication device. It's, it's, uh, it it's, it's so transcended what it was initially. And it's really interesting. As you say, I mean, it's not the whole world. It's the right world. That's, That's just really, an amazing observation.
1: That's really interesting. And I think, you know, that point about it's a community. It's, it's you know, so, so the clue is in... The, the name social media it's supposed to be social <laughs> yeah. it's not broadcast yeah. it's supposed to yeah. be social and I love this idea that it's sort of collaborative storytelling that you are involved mm-hmm. in other people's stories and so your yeah. contribution adds some to the story or you're as an audience member listening and applauding or recognizing yes. that it's all quite um collaborative I think you know if I think about posts that I would or contributions I make on linkedin the ones that seem to do well are when i'm sharing something personal which is again something strange because you think oh it's a business and it's like yeah it is but really you want to know that humans are behind that business
2: absolutely i think that's that for me is where the richness of linkedin Mm. come in it's the members It's the reason why LinkedIn has a member first policy, which means if there's anything that's necessarily happening on the platform that goes against our member first policy, we have a team of individuals who will kind of swoop down and make sure that that isn't the case. Because I do believe LinkedIn recognises the members are the ones engaging and doing the connecting and creating these stories that all match up together like a big patchwork quilt almost. And allow that real connection to happen,
0: and stories are alive, they're not static. Mm. And I think what's fascinating to me about LinkedIn as compared with some other uh social social mediums <laughs> um, <laughs> is your ability to be able to see the evolution of stories. Um, mm. personal stories as well as the stories of the companies that people work for.
1: I wonder if there's something about I don't, I don't know this might be just me my, this is probably just me making it up I don't know but there seems to be um a more collaborative environment in LinkedIn. I think a lot of the other social media platforms feel a bit more adversarial. They feel like they're set up to almost create conflict and I'm a big conflict f- fan you know it's part big part of storytelling but linkedin feels like collaboration is more that the story tool that it's it's after whilst you can still disagree and still have an opinion and still be passionate about your corner it feels yeah. like there is an etiquette that isn't sadly missing from yeah, other yeah corners, Perhaps yeah. i, I, I
0: hadn't that, really thought about that but yeah. but you're absolutely
1: right
2: you can't get away from the fact that you know yes you are there is almost like a the fact that you attach your LinkedIn profile to where you work
3: mm, yeah, <laughs>
2: and, and that in itself, <laughs> there's a level of accountability that sits yeah. with you there. And I think, I think consistently out of all of the platforms, LinkedIn kind of numb tops is the most trusted platform mm. because at the very top of that, you can go on my profile, see where I work, see where I used to work. There is a real kind of accountability, a professional accountability to it which I think is really interesting one trend I've noticed though as we were talking it made me think of this is as we've kind of all gone through the pandemic and the events of 2020 and Mm. the reckoning with race and just Mm. social injustice what I've increasingly seen is as people have gone on their own personal journey with some of those really difficult topics they've been really open and honest about that. It's really, Mm. you know, stories around, this is the way I used to think. And now I'm actually starting to question. And where I'm asking questions, I'm I'm finding out new information. And I'm sharing that quite openly and publicly on what is a professional platform. But ultimately, Mm. for me, I'm seeing that evolving. And what I love around that journey and the telling of that journey in a story is the heart that seems to be coming to the platform. Mm. Yeah. Yeah which is nice really I, really
0: I, nice yeah that that heart was displayed to me literally yesterday when a colleague posted a an image um coming out of the ukraine well it was actually an image of mothers in poland leaving their strollers at the railway station for refugees mm. m- refugee moms to take and that didn't come to me on twitter and that didn't no. come to me on facebook that that came to me on LinkedIn. It's interesting.
2: And I think this is just a build on that. I think what's interesting is that as the platform grows, I think it grows in line with where we are as professionals. Mm. We've all had two and a half years where we've almost had to, you know, our living rooms are open for people to see. They kind of the, the additional wall that we used to hide is now there so I, I see that same kind of vulnerability starting to appear on the platform mm. which to me is it's kind of how social platforms should work they should evolve with the members and the yeah. members direct it and that in itself is a great lesson in story for me because it means that it's not one point in time it's ever moving yeah. and evolving
1: that's mm. lovely the fact that our stories our own stories are evolving and we are a story in progress. Uh, Audrey, it's been fantastic to talk to you. But before you leave us, we like to ask our guests one final sort of fun question, which is, do you have a favourite story? Why is it your favourite? So if you could could share with us a favourite story, that'd be great.
2: I mean, I have so many. I I told you (laughs) uh, (laughs) that this is hard one, but this one is a particularly interesting one because I actually don't know where it originated from. I've heard, and I can't remember where I heard it first. Um, It's the fable of the bricklayers. Oh no! No, a young girl um, approaches three construction workers, and she asks the first one, "What are you doing?" and the first one says i'm laying bricks which is correct that's what he was doing she then goes on to ask the second one what are you doing he said i'm building a wall which obviously equally was true and then goes on to ask the third one what are you doing he says i'm building a cathedral and i love that story because I'm somebody who spends a lot of my time, maybe too much, in the space of what if mm. and, and thinking big and dreaming big and and saying the words of where I want to be and how I want to kind of show up in the world in something that's bigger from where I stand at the moment. Mm. And for me that story I love is because really simply you could see that if you just change in your perspective around things, the doors it can open for you are pretty
1: incredible so that's definitely one of my faves i would nice. say yes i have heard that one i like i like it a okay. lot it's that, i, that I idea had not yeah. that
0: is wonderful just wonderful i promise to put a quarter in a jar <laughs> for you audrey every time i retell that story <laughs> oh
2: amazing i love that <laughs> thank you
1: <laughs> well, brilliant well audrey thank you so much for for joining us and uh thanks thank to our you listeners for, for listening Yes,
2: that was great fun. Thank you so much for having Thank
1: me. Thank you. Well, Good stuff as always.
0: That was great, that was terrific. Um, so, takeaways. Um, mm. I loved Audrey's description of the superstitions of salespeople. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the you know the process that that ritualistic process mm. of what they think. Gets them revenue, you know, punching in the code. That was such a wonderful metaphor. Um, But I also loved the fact that what she was describing was the notion that marketers have two different audiences, really. They have the external audience for sure, but in the virtuous circle of that, you know, that relationship between marketing and sales. It really is marketing's job to understand the sales superstitions. Mm. You know, what what salespeople think they need to do to generate revenue. Because when something shifts or changes, either in the message or the audience, the the, the prospects that sales needs to engage, mm. they need to disrupt those superstitions. And sure. you, you can only get people to say yes when you frame it the way audrey framed it in that imagine a world in which we could
1: yeah because
0: those superstitions those rituals those formulas that salespeople typically use and sometimes really effectively they don't want to give up that easily yeah so that I, was really fascinating
1: to me. Yeah, I think I, I think it, I think I agree completely on that one. I think that one of the other points that was really interesting to me was this idea about you've got to be able to effectively translate the story of your organization. Um, so it's all well and good if you know the leader can tell it or the, the yes. leadership team, even if the leadership. Um, Quite often, leadership teams can't tell the story of the... Or of the <laughs> well, yeah. But maybe maybe the marketing team can or the comms team can. But it needs to be... You have to create brand ambassadors through your people. So you have to be able to create a story that is transferable, translatable. Um, and that has to also live through not just the verbal story but through the icons and symbols and rituals and the lexicon i love that that idea of um, you know what we would call a tone of voice but it's also the the language that you use and how that right. tells the story both internally and externally of the business so i thought that was fascinating right.
0: and you know that idea of creating the ownership through those tools mm. I, I thought was really great um you know the, the the last thing that resonated with me, with me was really two things that i think are connected and oh my god the story of the bricklayers mm. that was so wonderful and my takeaway there was that the story has to be big enough it can't be as georgie said we do this and we do this and we did this and we did this it's got to be that bigger we're building cathedrals story yeah. that that dream has to be big. But you that big dream story you have to be telling to the right audience. Mm. And that that thing that she said about LinkedIn, it's not the whole world, it's the right the, world.
1: The right world, yeah.
0: You know, it's, you have to understand your prospects well enough to tell the big story to the prospective clients who, who for whom that's the right story yeah the
1: right story for them yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, i I, you know she has so much um great there's so much great stuff in there and and no no, i think it's good that we distilled it down to just three so um thank you as as always to our listeners for choosing to spend some time with us on story conversation um i hope you tune in next time uh just a little bit more about us uh uh, I'm Simon Arrowsmith, I run a company called I Am Bit Creative and I was, as always, joined by the wonderful Susan Griffin who runs a fantastic agency called the Griffin and Skeggs Collaborative. We help organisations share, I say it's find, craft and share your stories. It's how do, you, how do you take those stories and put them out into the world. Now That can be through marketing or through content or through pitching and presenting. Any and don't forget things. it can Ooh.
0: also be through sound and oh, music.
1: It can indeed. Yes. <laughs> let's let's, let's, play, let's sonic play. branding person. <laughs> let's play and, them out with some music. <laughs> y-
0: yes, and don't forget to look for us on our new blog, mm. story Dot
1: blog. Yes.
0: Where you can see all the episodes and even a few more interesting things. Yeah.
1: More to come, more to come. We'll see indeed. you soon. Bye.